EWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. We are the champion for important causes and issues like financial literacy. That is why so many people listen to the Lionel Shipman Shape Your Finances show. Lionel is a seasoned veteran in the finance industry, but more importantly, Lionel cares about people. He shares his vast knowledge of the finance world in a personal way that goes beyond dollars and cents with advice that makes sense. So let Lionel help you get your finances in order or avoid costly errors in judgment that may be devastating to you and your family. Listen to the Lionel Shipman Check Your Finances show every Tuesday exclusively on the CWR Talk Network at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Central. And hello and welcome to the Lionel Shipman Shape Your Finances show here on the CWR Talk Network. And I am your host, Lionel Shipman. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. And I want to give a huge shout out to all of my regular listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. And all of you new listeners, thank you so much for tuning in tonight as well. And ultimately, and first and foremost, let's thank God for another day to make a positive difference in the lives of other people. Now, for all of my new listeners, my radio show is a financial and life empowerment show focusing in on improving your financial outlooks. But we don't stop there. I'm here to give you some life lessons. That means educating you in those other important areas of life, mind, body, and spirit, to help you live life to the fullest. So in a nutshell, I am here to help you. Well, tonight is a what I call a solo show tonight. I uh, don't have a guest, um, but I've been blessed to have some great guests at the beginning uh, of this year. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to the past, I think it was three or four uh, shows that we've done already. Uh, take a listen at those shows. Very good shows. Great guests uh, that have been here on the show. And tonight, like I said, this is a solo show. And in celebration of black history, uh, I wished I would have done this uh, a year ago, I would say. But tonight we're going to be talking from the topic that I put forth called Black History Financial Perspective. So kind of giving a, a little bit of uh, something different tonight. I mean, I've never done a show uh, quite like this. I've never done one in this format. But I can guarantee you it's going to be filled with some great information great historical information, some great facts about, I I guess what I want to do is to somewhat give some reason or some background for the wealth gap or for the wealth disparity uh, between black people and white people here in America. So that's what I want to talk about uh, tonight. Now, you can listen to all of my past shows on demand now. Uh, I can be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Play, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. But you can also go to my website at shipmentconsulting.com. That's shipmentconsulting.com. I've created a uh, page just pretty much dedicated to the show, and it has a great gallery of all the past guests that I've had here on the show, uh, various topics, a wealth of information. So I would encourage you to uh, go there and listen to some of the past shows and uh, binge listen if you want to. 
take take a couple of hours or so because we have a lot of great uh, information, a lot of great uh, topics that we have discussed on past shows. So please check that out. Now, if you had a question or a comment, it may be somewhat difficult tonight uh, because of the amount of information that I'm trying to give out uh, on tonight. But I know I do have some some of you that like to call in just to listen. But if you do want to call in, and hopefully I'll have a chance to get to your question or comment, uh, the number is 917-889-8078. Again, the number is 917-889-8078. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I have my finance book published now. The book is called Money Responsibly. Uh, long time in the works, but now it's here. Uh, my book is a useful and resourceful tool for people who want to build a foundation of understanding the basic money management skills. But it also will increase your financial knowledge as well. Uh, my book will help you uh, examine your money mindset. It'll help you look at how you view money, but it also give you some helpful uh, tips of how to make the necessary adjustments so you can become empowered to control and manage your financial life going forward. Uh, you can get my book on Amazon, but many of you have been asking for um, uh, autograph copies. So if you want an autograph copy, go to my website at shipmentconsulting.com, go to the Contact Us page, and submit your request that you would like to have an autograph copy and we will make sure that we get one to you in your hand. So I'm very excited about the book. The book, again, the, the name of the book is called Money Responsibly. So uh, go to my website, or you can get it there on Amazon. Well, I don't want to waste any time because I have a lot of information. Uh, I have to say it's historical, so it's impossible for me to give you everything in a 45-minute time span or in, or in one night. Uh, so um, I've tried to condense as best I could, but some great information is going to come forth tonight. Like I said at the beginning, uh, we're going to be addressing the wealth inequality here in the U.S. Uh, you know, the things that have occurred uh, to black people, to African-Americans over the years that got us to where we are right now. I want to provide some, some, some insight on what happened way back when. So uh, I am addressing this topic because I had a good friend and a former coworker. He shared an article with me probably about four or five months ago, and uh, which kind of kicked off me doing this segment tonight. And this topic, it has been discussed on social media and some of the news outlets have mentioned it uh, over the past year and years. But I kind of want to do something a little bit different here, seeing that I do. This is a financial show, and I want to make sure that we enlighten us uh, from a Black History uh, perspective uh, tonight. So, over the years, especially, uh, I, I kind of want to share some things in my heart before I go into this. You know, over the years, you know, since I've become an, a, an adult, I have learned a lot about American history. I know that that probably sounds very strange to some of you. I know that some of you are probably saying, well, didn't he learn history in high school? Uh, what is he talking about? We all learn American history in high school. Well, 
I did learn some American history, you know, parts of it. Only the parts that educators or either the school administrators wanted me to learn. Um, either they were knowledgeable of the missing parts or uh, they were uh, afraid to teach it or either they just simply did not know the whole story. Uh, I only got bits and pieces when I was a kid. And I understand that some of this may be uncomfortable to teach or to talk about or to discuss, but it's vital that it's taught because it makes up American history. Now, I did not realize uh, until I got to college that a great part of black history was missing. Uh, as you begin, you know, as I grew up, you know, I grew up in Alabama and unfortunately we didn't get a lot of black history. We got, you know, we got Martin Luther King, Rosa Parks, uh, those uh, icons of black history. But there were a lot of other people. There were a lot of other events that went on years ago that either I, my teachers maybe felt uncomfortable in talking about it or they just didn't know or what have you. But we, I just didn't learn it. So I've had to learn my history. I think it's very important that we learn our history, learn those missing parts of American history. You know, in doing my research and you know, I look back when I was in college, you know, as I was going through all this information and I'm yet learning more and more, you know, I, I've went through a range of different emotions. You know, I've been hurt, disappointed, sometimes angry, excited, proud, disgusted, bewildered, surprised, alarmed. I mean, everything, all these different emotions that uh, I've gone through uh, since learning black history. And each day I'm searching for more and more because there are still a lot of missing parts to this puzzle. And I would encourage all of you to search out the history uh, that's here in America, uh, especially black history, seeing that we are celebrating Black History Month. And by the way, Black History Month uh, or, or, or the celebration of black history needs to be an everyday thing. It shouldn't be just one month. Black history is a part of American history, and that history should be something that we should be knowing on an everyday basis. I do want to say that part. Now, of course, it's been my mission to educate people in the area of finance and money and financial literacy, and I want to make sure that I continually do that. But it's so great to be able to go back a little bit in history and find out some things that we didn't know. Now, some of you may have heard some of this, some of you may have not, but uh, hopefully tonight will kind of enlighten us all uh, of what went on years ago to get us to where we are right now. And like I said, it's a lot of information, but um, I've tried to condense it down, and uh, hopefully we'll learn a lot tonight. As I said, a good friend gave me this article, the article that I uh, talked about earlier, some years, uh, a few months ago, rather, there was an article titled, White Americans Hold on Wealth is Old, Deep, and Nearly Unshakable. Uh, I got this off of the City Lab website, uh, the gentleman by the name of Brenton Mock. He's a staff writer with City Lab. Uh, he wrote the, uh, the article, 
And I want to make sure that I give reference to all uh, of the findings and research and articles. I want to make sure that I reference them and make sure I get the proper sources out there. So that's what kicked this off tonight. The title of that article, again, is called White Americans Hold on Wealth is Old, Deep, and Nearly Unshakable. And the staff writer, he's a uh, Britton Mock. He's a staff writer at CityLab.com. Uh, uh, also, there was a, another, uh, I guess, uh, study that was done that uh, was in that particular article. And this study was uh, conducted by uh, some economists uh, at Princeton University and the University of California and the University of Southern Denmark. Uh, uh, Leo Platt Bustain, I hope I'm saying the name right, uh, the economist, and uh, Catherine Erickson and Philip Adger. Those are the professors that put together this particular finding of this particular uh, article called The Intergenerational Effects of a Large Wealth Shock, White Southerners After the Civil War. So, like I said, we have a lot of information, but I want to make sure I reference uh, uh, my findings, my research to the appropriate people. Now, this article took me back in history uh, because it kind of gives an explanation of what happened years ago that, that caused the wealth gap that we have here in America between black Americans and white Americans. So I did a lot of research and yet doing research, and I want to kind of give you some information of what I have already found out. So here we go. I want to kind of start off uh, with giving some statistics, and I want to give some comments after some, but then I'm going to sum it up with a uh, a great story at the end. Now, like I said, I'm here to give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, because it's vital that we understand and learn black history. So here's some stats. Here's some figures that came from one of the articles. The median family wealth increased from $83,000 back in 1992 to 97000 in 2016. Now, when I say wealth, I'm talking about in terms of net worth. That is the net value of, of the liquid assets and the illiquid assets and debts that a person may have or a family may have. So I just want to kind of give some uh, definitions as well of what liquid assets are and what illiquid assets are. Liquid assets uh, assets that can be easily converted within six months to a year, illiquid, uh, can be easily liquidated uh, a little bit long. It take a little bit longer for it to convert to cash. So, a good example would be for uh, for a liquid account would be a money market account. For an illiquid account would be something like real estate, being able to convert it to cash. So, when we say the family wealth uh, actually increased from eighty three thousand in nineteen ninety two to 97000 in 2016, we're talking about in terms of net worth. Now, some of you may have wondered or never even thought about why black families have lagged behind white families from a financial perspective. Well, 
hopefully I'm going to provide some of that uh, missing pieces of what happened years ago that has caused that gap to happen back then, and it continues to be a gap even right now. So here's another statistic. Per the Pew Research uh, Organization, you can go to PewPEWResearch.org website. In 2016, the median wealth of white household was $171,000. That's 10 times the wealth of black households, which is $17,100. That's a huge gap. 171,000 versus 17,000. That's the difference between the the wealth of white households versus black households. Well, let's dig a little bit further. The racial wealth gap between black and white families grew about $100,000 in 1992 to 150,000 in 2016. That was due in part to the wealth of white families and their gain. But for black families, there was really very limited growth. And at at certain times, it was kind of like no growth. Black families, we have made great strides over the years. However, black families, have we have been faced with many barriers over the years, such as discrimination, poverty, uh, a shortage of, 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 of what we call, or what one of the reports call social connections, meaning being able to have uh, readily available uh, information that will help us, uh, help black families grow financially. Then don't have those channels uh, available or didn't have those channels available. And these variables or these barriers as well as other barriers, they continue to hinder black families from building wealth, which contributes to the widening gap that we see here in America today. Now, I have often said that there are several pieces or several slices of the what I call the blame pie. You know, I talked about, uh, we just mentioned uh, discrimination, uh, racism. Those are definite uh, barriers. But there are other barriers uh, that uh, occur that have caused the wealth gap between black Americans and white Americans. So we're going to hopefully hit on some of these uh, tonight. Now, in addition to just racism and discrimination and other barriers, unfortunately, there were some laws here in the United States of America that help or contribute to the slow financial progress of black Americans. That is very disheartening, but it happened. Like I said, uh, we want to know the truth, and that's part of the truth. So there were some laws that government put forth that slowed and in some cases totally prevented black Americans to gain wealth and to continue with that wealth going forward. Okay. Here's another statistics. Black families are up to 4.6 times more likely than white families to live in concentrated poverty. That's per the Chronicle of Higher Education. 
Listen to this one. Per a report provided by the uh, National Public Radio back in May 2017, institutional forces such as the National Housing Act of 1934 contributed to the structural, racial, and socioeconomic segregation, limiting many black family housing options to those in derated neighborhoods, which are characterized by distressed housing stock, lower income residents, and an overall decline. And we see that yet going on today. Now, for those of you probably saying, well, in depressed type of housing situation, why can't families just move to a different place or a different city or a different state? Well, it's not easy when you don't have the means or the monies to make that happen. Sometimes people have to work with what they have. And if you have nothing to work with, it is nearly impossible to move to a better place or to better conditions. All right? Here's another one. Black families are 1.3 times more likely than white families to have student loan debt. And those that have student loan debt, those balances are 1.7 times higher than white families. Now, that's per the Urban Institute of July 16. 2016 report. That means that if a white family has $50,000 in student loan debt compared to a black family, a black family would have $85,000 in student loan debt. Here's another one. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, black students borrow money for college at a rate of roughly 87% at public four-year colleges. And across all types of colleges, black students borrow at a rate of 77%. Now, the average is 60%. For white students, the borrowing rate is roughly 60%. So it's a huge disparity there even from a uh, borrowing money for college. Here's another one, statistic. Per the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, this is a December 2016 report, black consumers are 73% more likely than white consumers to lack a credit score. Now, I know sometimes uh, comedians like to uh, make a joke of credit, you know, especially among the black community and in the Latino communities. But I, I don't laugh at that anymore because it, is, it's, it's, it has held people back from, uh, it has limited their borrowing uh, capacity. Uh, it has limited their ability or our ability to get a home loan or to buy a car or to provide a means for our families without having a good credit score are not even having a score. So, so laughing about credit is really not a funny uh, uh, thing to me anymore. Here's another one. The most common way for Americans to hold wealth is by owning a home. But check this out. Only 40% of black families own a home compared to 73% of white families. That is from a Washington Post report 
of February 2019. And when black families do own a home, their homes are less likely to appreciate in value. And when they do appreciate, they appreciate much slower. That's from the Brookings Institution from a November 2018 report. Now, this next one is very alarming to me. African-Americans with a four-year college degree have a lower home ownership rate than white Americans that are without a high school diploma. Let me say that again. African-Americans with a four-year college degrees have a lower home ownership rate than white Americans without a high school diploma. That data was gathered and compiled by uh, the American Community Survey of 2017. When it comes to investing, which is a great way of building wealth in addition to home ownership, uh, black families are less likely to own stock than white families are, partly because black families have fewer funds or less money to invest. Do you see the disparity there? They say the numbers don't lie. This is the truth. And I'm all about uh, sharing the truth here. Let me give you another one. While savings can be a source of financial stability, black families are less able to accumulate savings than white families. Mm. And that can be attributed to uh, the employment uh, link benefits. Wow. How about this one? Even a black family support network is literally poor. And in, in, an, in, a, in an emergency, most black families will not know anyone that could lend them $3,000. You know, I've talked about this uh, on my show, uh, the need to have an emergency fund. But here, per the Pew Charitable Trust report dated November 2015, as well as the Federal Reserve Board September 2017 report, most black families don't even know anyone that they could get $3,000 from in the event of the emergency. Those are just some of the truths, some of the stats and figures. Now, as I stated earlier, there are several slices of the blame pie. Unfair playing uh, ground uh, that originated many years ago. Laws that worked against black people, blatant mistreatment, discrimination, poverty, all these things came into play. But I also want to add to that blame pie, or another piece to the blame pie, uh, personal choice and decisions. Uh, limited to no education in financial literacy. All these things combined, I would say, are contributors to the wealth gap. Sometimes we assume people know how to manage money effectively or sufficiently, but if you have never been taught, if you've never been exposed to financial literacy skills and money management education, how can we expect anyone to know how to manage money? 
And if you're starting out in a game and the odds are already pressed against you, it makes it very hard to be able to compete on the field of life. Let's keep moving on. Now, the findings of some of the, of the reports that I've read, uh, the findings noted that the wealth, income, and savings that white families accumulated during slavery supplied the economic means that catapulted them into elite affluent status during our country's first two centuries of existence. In addition to slavery, government laws, discrimination, among other things, hindered the financial progression among black Americans. See, that's part of the history sometimes that we uh, don't want to hear, but it's true. And it's, it's kind of unfortunate that we only talk about this during the month of February. This history should be taught to all of our kids in school. Black, white, blue, or green, everyone should know because this is part of American history. I want to share a story with you as I go to the, as I get ready to give you some additional information. There was a gentleman by the name of Elmore Bowling, whose brothers called him Buddy. He was a, he was a kind of one-man economy in Lodes Borough, Alabama. He leased a plantation where he had a generous store with a, with a gas station out front and a catering business. Now, he grew cotton and corn and sugar cane. He also owned a fleet of trucks that ran livestock and made deliveries uh, between Lowesboro and Montgomery. And at the peak of his business, he had, he had employed about 40 people, all black. One day in 1947, a group of white men showed up and confronted him. And on a particular section of this road, they shot him seven times. Six times with a pistol, one time with a shotgun. And his family, he made it back. To, his family rushed him back to the store where they, he was found dead. I'll just say that much. He was found dead. And the rough part about this, in addition to the shooting, which is just graphic, the shooters didn't even cover up their faces. They didn't need to. Everyone knew who had done it, but nothing was done. He was a successful Negro, some said in the newspaper. He was killed. His family had accumulated roughly about $40,000 in the bank. He had about $5,000 in assets, which is equivalent to $500,000 in today's dollars. But within months of his murder, nearly all of it was gone. White creditors and people posing as creditors took the money, sold all the trucks and the cattle, left the family completely without anything. That's just some of the things that happened back in history. Now, the period that followed the Civil War was one of economic terror and wealth stripping that left black people 
at a lasting economic disadvantage. According to Dr. William Darity, a professor of public policy and African-American studies at Duke University, of which hopefully I'm going to have him on my show, uh, hopefully the next couple of months. Uh, I've been in communication with him, and hopefully I have him here on the show to kind of enlighten us uh, even more. But he authored a, an article called A Vast Wealth Gap Driven by, excuse me, A Vast Wealth Gap Driven by Segregation, Redlining, Eviction, and Exclusion Separates Black and White America. Today's racial wealth gap is perhaps the most glaring legacy of American slavery and the violent economic disposition, excuse me, dispossession that followed. The fate suffered by Elmore Bowling, the, the, the man I just mentioned earlier, and his family was not unique, especially to the Jim Crow, Alabama. It was part of a much broader social and political campaign. When legal slavery ended in 1865, there was great hope for formerly enslaved people. Between 1865 and 1870, the Reconstruction Amendments established birthright citizenship, making all black citizens, granting them equal protection under the law, and gave black men the right to vote. There was also a promise of compensation. In January 1865, German, excuse me, General William Sherman issued an order reallocating hundreds of thousands of acres of white-owned land along the coast of Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina for settlements by black families in 40-acre plots. Congress established the Freedmen's Bureau to oversee the transition from slavery to freedom, and the Freedmen's Savings Bank was formed to help 4 million formerly enslaved people gain financial freedom. Now, when President Lincoln was assassinated, Vice President Andrew Johnson rescinded General Sherman's order by pardoning white plantation owners and returning the land on which 40,000 or so black families had already settled. Here, is, here are the words from President Johnson, or Vice President Johnson at that time. This is a country for white men, and by God, as long as I am president, it shall be a government for white men. The borough, the bureau that was created, always meant it, it was it was a temporary thing. It was totally dismantled in excuse me in eighteen seventy two. More than sixty thousand black people deposited more than one million dollars into the Freedman Savings Bank, but its all white trustees began issuing speculative loans to white investors and corporations, and the bank failed, and all the black depositors lost all of their money. These are just some of the things that would give explanation and reason why there's such a wage gap, excuse me, there's such a wealth gap between black Americans and white Americans. 
Now, to satisfy Southern white people, the federal government pulled out the Union troops who were stationed in the South to keep order. During this period of so-called redemption, lawmakers throughout the South enacted black codes and Jim Crow laws that stripped black people of their freedoms and property. Other white people, often aided by law enforcement, waged a campaign of violence against black people that would rob them of large amounts of wealth. Here's an incident that happened in North Carolina. Armed white people stormed the prosperous majority Wilmington, North Carolina in 1898, and they murdered dozens of people, forced over 2,000 people off their properties, and they actually even overthrew the government. In red summer of 1919, at least 240 black people were murdered across the country. And in 1921, in one of the bloodiest racial attacks in American history, Greenwood, better known as the Black Wall Street there in Tulsa, Oklahoma, it was looted. It was burned to the ground. It was estimated that about 300 black people were murdered and 10,000 were rendered homeless. I remember seeing the story of the, I think the oldest living person, uh, Miss uh, Olivia Hooker. Uh, I saw a, uh, there was a, a video that she, she went back to that area for the first time ever uh, after escaping that. Uh, she went back uh, to just see that, see what the, the grounds of what had happened way back when. God bless her. Uh, she passed, I think it was sometime last year, but I would encourage you to go back and, and see that video just to hear her account of what happened during that time. The post-reconstruction plundering of black wealth was not just a product of spontaneous violence but it was etched in law and public policy. Throughout the first half of the 20th century, the federal government actively excluded black people from government wealth-building programs. In the 1930s, President Roosevelt's New Deal helped build a solid middle class through sweeping social programs, including Social Security and minimum wage, but a majority of black people at the time were agriculture laborers and domestic workers, occupations that were ineligible for these benefits. The establishment of Homeowners Loan Corporation in 1933 helped save the collapsing housing market, but it largely excluded black neighborhoods from, gover from government-issued loans. These neighborhoods were deemed hazardous and colored in with red on the maps, which we know the practice now as redlining. That's where that came from. Check this part. The GI Bill, which is often hailed as one of, uh, one of President Roosevelt's most enduring legacies, it helped usher millions of working-class veterans through college, and into new homes and the middle class, but it discriminated. But it discriminated against. Well, it discriminated against black people, but it benefited white people. 
Now, the bill did not explicitly exclude black veterans, but the way that it was administered did. The bill gave veterans access to mortgages with no down payments, but the Veterans Administration, the VA, adopted the same racially restricted policies as did the Federal Housing Administration. The Federal Housing Administration guaranteed those bank loans only to the developers who wouldn't sell to black people. They had a clause in the deed that prohibited even the resale to black people. So here's some of the things that, from a government standpoint, that was going on, in addition to all of the violence and, 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 and discrimination that black people were faced with uh, during that time. So all these things compounded caused this wealth gap that we see even today. We'll go just a little bit further, and then I'm going to close out here. Dr. Darity, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that uh, authored the, the information that I just read, um, he had a, a sentence or two that I wanted to read out. He said that the origins of the racial wealth gap start with the failure to provide the formerly enslaved with the land grants of 40 acres. Some of you probably may be familiar with that, 40 acres and a mule. That's where that came from. Any financial progress that black people made was regarded as an affront to white supremacy. After a decade of black gains under Reconstruction, a much longer period of racial violence will wipe nearly all of it away. So black America, black people, was on the road to be a wealth. And that wealth was taken away. That surely adds some light to the wealth gap of what we see here today. Now, I'm a believer of the scripture that talks about truth. I believe that the truth sets you free. Now, it was great for me to learn that information, to read it. But I would encourage all of you to go back and listen to this segment But I want you to read, to do your research, learn the history, learn the American history, learn the black history, learn what went on here in our country, not in parts, but learn the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Now, like I said at the beginning, unfortunately, I didn't learn a lot of black history. I learned some in high school, but not to the extent where I should have. But I did take the time as I've gotten older to learn the history, to learn what happened in other areas, sectors of life, not just from the financial perspective. I wanted to kind of bring out the financial perspective because this is the type of show that I do. So I wanted to kind of do something totally different, something I have never done before. This was definitely out of my normal But I hope that you gain some knowledge and some understanding and that you were enlightened by what went on years ago that was somewhat explain why we have such a wealth gap here in America between 
black Americans, and white America. Now, I still have a lot more research. Uh, I would just say that this is probably part one. I look to do maybe another uh, part, hopefully by the end of the month. Uh, I will be putting it out on social media if I get a chance to do that. But this is just a start of the history that we need to learn from a financial perspective here in the United States of America. We need to learn the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, we have come a long way, but we have a long way to go. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you learned a lot tonight. That's a wrap. I want to thank you so much for tuning into the Lionel Shipman Shape Your Finances show. You can catch my show every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I would encourage you, if you haven't connected with me on social media, please do so. You can catch me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And if you haven't ordered my new book, please do so. The, money, uh, the, <laughs> the book is called Money Responsibly. You can reserve or get your autographed copy if you go to my website at shipmentconsulting.com. Go to the Contact Us page and submit your request to get an autographed copy. But the book is also available on Amazon. Now, as I always do, I want you to remember these words regarding your money and your life. Give cheerfully, spend carefully, and invest wisely. We will talk with you next week. And like I said, look, on, look for me on social media as I will hopefully be announcing uh, part two to this segment of Black History Financial Perspective. Take care, everyone. Let's go out with a little bit of jazz, smooth jazz music. What we're going to do tonight? How about a little Paul Jackson? Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.